This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as a February room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite developments, fly rods, and fishing accessories. Tech, precision, ingenuity, legacy. Go to cdfishing.us and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Here's your host, Lauren Carnop, and this is The February Room. Welcome to The February Room. Today, my guest is artist George Hill. Thank you so much for joining me today, George. I cannot wait to hear all about your artwork and also some great fishing stories. Thank you for having me. You have some incredible artwork. I mean, insane. I mean, I don't even know how you do it. But before we go into that, you obviously have a passion for fly fishing. And I want to hear a fly fishing story. Well, about this time a year ago, I was fishing the salmon fly hatch on a river nearby, unnamed river, and had, you know, maybe a kind of a cookie cutter bow come up and eat my my dry fly had a dropper on too, I think. Nice little fish, and I was playing it. We were, I was, we were fishing out of a boat and kind of about to float down through this deep run, and all of a sudden these two giant silver flashes like start charging at the boat and at my fish. And <laughs> really took me off guard. And my buddy on the oars is like, ultra, he's telling me, you know, he's like, get that fish in, get that fish to the net, get it in the boat. And, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, I got to get this fish in, like, got to get it to the net. And I was kind of secretly thinking, like, well, what if I 
played this fish a little bit longer, what would happen? Because <laughs> you hear stories of this kind of thing happening with bull trout. So I'd never caught a bull trout in my life. And I had a probably a 34-inch bull trout come up and eat my trout, eat the rainbow. What? <laughs> <laughs> and there were two of them. They were like sharks. They were kind of charging at it, swarming this poor fish. And yeah, I hooked into a really, really large bull trout. And about 10, 15 minutes later, got it to the net. And that was the first bull trout I'd ever caught. So were you able to recover the other fish that he ate? Well, it's kind of a mystery. And, you know, my adrenaline was going like crazy and I was super stoked. And I was trying to get, you know, the fish off quickly. And I was expecting to see this like half eaten or like slightly regurgitated rainbow trout sticking out of its mouth and I never saw anything in the bull trout's mouth. It was really bizarre. I still don't know how I landed it or, or hooked it. This is really, really bizarre. But the tippet between my dry fly and my dropper was through this tiny little pinhole in its lower gill plate. And look, the tippet was through that. And so, you know, I'm kind of fumbling around. I'm like, oh, I got it. I just cut off my, I think it was the trailer fly. I just cut off so I could get that line through and get them off. But then the lead fly was still intact in there, which would have been in the rainbow trout's mouth. Uh, and there was no rainbow trout. So this is a really bizarre thing that culminated in like, you know, probably the greatest catch of my life. <laughs> I've fished a lot and all over and I've caught a lot of fish. And, I mean, this was just incredible to hold a trout that big in a, you know, in a small river. What a fishing experience of a lifetime. Did you use that experience as some of your art inspiration? Yeah, I think all my fishing experiences kind of trickle into my art. I haven't actually painted a bull trout yet. Um, so maybe that needs to be, you know, the subject of my next painting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, looking at your artwork, it is so realistic, especially the fish, the way that you capture them, one that's like halfway going in the water and out, and you can just feel like the water is literally just kind of streaming off of the scales into the water. Um, give me a little bit of background of your your artwork. How did you How did you realize this was going to be your passion? I don't know. I always I grew up in Michigan, so I, I grew up on the water. I spent my dad loved to be on the water. He hated to fish. <laughs> he didn't teach me anything about fishing, um, but you know he got me on the water a lot, uh, which I'm extremely grateful for. And I also grew up in a pretty artistic household. My mother is an artist, and I have a sister that's an artist. So we always had a lot of art materials around. Um, for as long as I can remember. And I look back, I still have a lot of sketchbooks from when I was a kid. Looking back through them, I was always sort of fascinated with shiny objects and fascinated with fish and like the ocean and water. Uh, so a lot of my stuff as a kid was painting or drawing things that kind of had some essence of reflection to them. I just, it was something I just liked to capture. Um, so eventually that you know, made its way into what I what I do now, I think. That was one of the main appeals of of fish as a subject matter was that they did have these these characteristics to them. So 
looking at your your paintings, it's like, how in the world do you give that fish such life, especially with just, I mean, it literally looks like the picture is wet. I mean, it's just insane how you see, do you just see light in such a different way or colors? Yeah, what I've, what I've kind of learned about fish uh, and painting fish is they're almost like a mirror and they're covered in that film of slime and water. And, you know, that's pretty much acting as a mirror and it's reflecting whatever's around them. So you could paint a fish without, without that reflective shine on it and you would just kind of paint the colors, the local colors of the fish, if it was a brown trout, you know, you would, it would be kind of brown and orange and some red and blue. But if you're, you know, painting a fish in its environment like that or, or giving it that feel of, of wetness, you kind of have to paint two things simultaneously. So you're, you're, you're painting those local tones and colors, but then you're also painting whatever that watery sheen is reflecting. Usually that's um, the sky or like the shoreline or a tree line maybe even a mountain line and a lot of times in, your, in, my, in my paintings if you're looking at them you'll kind of see that line uh, where the upper half of the fish might be cooler more blue colors and tones and that's the part that's kind of reflecting the sky um, and then you might even see that line and what's below that line is reflecting the earth uh, so those colors tend to be more earthy and I think that's probably what gives it that illusion of wetness. Your artwork is such a masterpiece. Do you find that a lot of like your work as a um, as an artist um, kind of go side go coincide with uh, being a angler? Um, I do, you know, and I think uh, the thing about the the common, the big commonality between the two of them is just that they they force me to be present and they force me to put all of my concentration into them. And if I don't, then I probably won't succeed in either one. Um, so they're pretty all consuming of my thoughts, my energy, you know, in either endeavor. I think to be proficient or successful is you have to pretty much be there entirely. And in this day and age, it's very easy. Most people have a hard time living in the present moment, uh, including myself most of the time. So those two things are just, I, I can't, you know, stress enough on just the benefit of that, of bringing me to being in a state of, you know, presence. Do you have, when you have people who purchase your your artwork is it for them like the memories that they have fishing oh for sure yeah i mean i think i think most art purchases are made um on an emotional experience or based on emotion like the the viewer or the buyer the collector they it's always an emotional connection i think probably with most people in art there's some people that will buy not saying necessarily i in general in the art world there's there's purchases that are made on speculation and most of those are for some investment purpose or resale. But most people buying art for their personal collection is based on a emotional connection to that piece of art. I know that you said that are you that you like to fish with streamers. Is there a particular fly that you like to fish with? Um, I love a black woolly bugger. You know, I think I would take a black bunny leech over woolly bugger. 
because I like the action. And usually I like to throw smaller to medium, black or olive, kind of natural colored, natural material, beachy streamers. Do you have a really great memory of catching, other than the one that we talked about at the very beginning, do you have a pretty good memorable streamer fishing story? Um, sure. Well, I had another story in mind that's not... Oh, give it to me. <laughs> well, this one, so going from Montana to Mexico and uh, going to the salt now, which, oh, I do do love salt fishing and it's been a long time. I'm very much longing to get on those flats again one day. But I was down in southern, southern Yucatan Peninsula a while back and was permit fishing. And I didn't, I was too broke to hire a guide. So I, I rented a bike from a local. I, my Spanish was pretty fluent after spending all that time in Argentina. Rented a bike for like the two weeks that I was down there and I'd ride it up and down the coast and I'd just kind of watch the incoming tide for cruising bonefish or sickle tails of, you know, feeding permit. And, um, but anyway, there was on the other side of this peninsula, this little spit of land at the bottom, there was a bay and some of the bigger permit would congregate there in schools and I hired a, a bartender to take me out because he had a boat and some local knowledge because <laughs> I couldn't afford to pay a guide for like a full guided trip but I needed to get out into the bay get out into the water and I had had a little success just wade fishing I actually caught two I think two permit just um, riding my bike up and down that coast two small ones and then I took this guy out to the bay and, you know, sure enough, he, he put me on some fish and he could see those fish coming from a couple hundred yards away. It's pretty incredible. Long before I ever even see anything that resembled a pot of, of fish or a school of permit. And so he puts me on this pot and it's coming near the boat. We're getting within casting range. And, you know, there's big permanent, there. It's like 20, 25 pound permanent. My adrenaline's going like crazy. And uh, I put a cast out there and, you know, it was, it was okay. It was well enough for them to see my little crab pattern. And uh, they turn on it and the whole school is moving on this fly. I'm stripping it and, um, like, oh my God, I'm gonna catch the fish of a lifetime. I'm gonna catch this giant permit. They're all like 25 pounds in there. And at the very last second, as these big fish are coming down on my fly, this little, little tiny runt of a permit, like about the size of my palm, <laughs> just like, shoots out from the pod of adults and eats my fly. <laughs> I mean, I was still stoked catch a permit, but it was the tiniest little saucer, like teacup permit we'd ever see. I mean, it was the cutest little thing, <laughs> but you know, kind of foiled my chances at that, at that permit of a lifetime. <laughs> well, at least maybe the little baby cute permit would be a really cute painting to paint, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it would. And I actually just painted a, my first permit, uh, not that long ago, about a month ago, two months ago. They are such 
cool looking fish. I mean, obviously I've never even tried to fish for a permit, but the way that they're, it's almost like little sharks. You can just see their, you know, their, their fin like come quickly up and then back down and you don't have the eye for it. It's so fast. Um, They're really, really beautiful. How was the bartender as a guide? He was great. It was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully he made you some cocktails along the way. (laughs) What a smart way to uh, use your resources, though, to ride a bike. And yeah. so, did you just like rode your bike and carried your fly rod all through uh-huh. through yep. Mexico? Yeah, well, just through this town. I, I just stayed in this one town. Um, it's like you know, it's an old fishing village, and uh, kind of got hit by one of the hurricanes. Uh, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago. So when I was there, it was still kind of dilapidated, and it was it was great. I mean. Yeah, I, I pretty much just did it from the bike and walking up and down the coast and then took that guy out one day and it was funny because you could also cross over to that bay and just fish from the shore, but there's a military checkpoint there and um, it's kind of like a hub for trafficking. It's lanes from you know drugs coming up from Central America South America coming up to like Florida. So it's actually patrolled pretty well by the Mexican military. And they have this checkpoint, a military checkpoint. I would <laughs> just, you know, this gringo like on the bike <laughs> and it had like the little plastic things in the in the spokes, you know, that kids put in so when you ride the bike they like make them they flop around and make the noise. <laughs> there were like a flyer, a couple flyer hats strapped to my back, and you know, a straw hat, and go through this military checkpoint on my, my rented bike. It's pretty funny. They always looked at me like, "Who is this gringo rolling up again?" But <laughs> they never gave me trouble. Wow, what made you decide? Were you just like, "I need to get out and go fishing," or was it more? Was it for the fishing, or was it more to just kind of get inspiration for painting? It was for the fishing, 100%. The <laughs> 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 go get the permit and bonefish. Yeah. But I, I, I traveled a lot. You know, I, in my 20s, I was fortunate. It um, was kind of tailored a lot of what I did towards fishing, whether it was traveling and working somewhere or guiding or, um, you know, anywhere that would put me on world-class fisheries, really. Good fishing. So, wow. yeah, that was a, um, actually that Mexico trip was at the tail end of a, I was in another city in Southern Mexico and I was taking a program that allowed me to teach English, English as a foreign language. Um, so I had done this schooling program for, I think four or five weeks. And then this was like, okay, I got two weeks left before I have to fly home. I'm going to go down to this fishery, check it out. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, never forget it. Wow, what an amazing experience. And I mean, it's so great that you're able to like go travel the world in your 20s and experience it and then use that passion into your artwork. I mean, that's uh, that's what everyone's dream is, right? To live passionately and then do what you yeah, love to passion sure. as well. Yep, now live in the reality of being an artist. So, George, if people are wanting to look at your all your artwork, uh, where's the best way for them to check out um, check out your your stuff? 
Uh, well, anybody in that's out this way, I uh, have uh, a show in a gallery in Whitefish, Montana called Frame of Reference. Um, and other than that, there's, you know, the, the usual digital pathways, I guess. So Instagram is probably where you'll find the most up-to-date stuff and some, you know, kind of process photos and just a little bit more of a look into my process and little art world. That's George Hill art. And then uh, I guess that's connected to my Facebook too. I don't know. I don't really use Facebook or understand it that much, but it's not that creative. <laughs> you know, it's a really good platform for artists. It's really intuitive, and a good presentation venue for for imagery, obviously. Um, and then my website is georgehillart.com, and there you'll find uh, you know all the finished paintings, and it'll show you which ones. You know, I have an archive of sold pieces and a couple pages that will have a page for fish that are available and a page that are avail- available animals and a page for some of those other things like citrus fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was going to say, I mean, if somebody ends up catching um, a fish of a lifetime and they wanted you to paint it, are you? would you do a commission work like that? Or is it solely like I'm... I'm the boss of what I want to, <laughs> which is a good thing to be too. It depends. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm certainly open to having a look and, and for sure, if somebody wants that, wants to talk to me about it, you know, show me what they have in mind. I'm always happy to talk. So definitely. Yeah. So right now you're painting, is it a brook, but next one's going to be a bull trout. This one's a brown right now. Yeah. I got to do the brookie ahead. And that's it. You know, I paint so many brown trout because that's, I, I have, you know, a familiarity with the subject matter. It's what I catch the most and I'm around the most. And, you know, those other fish, not as much. I have gone and fished for them and caught some of them, but it's nice to be able to observe them in person more, you know, to pick up on those nuances. My goal is to make, is for them to feel alive, you know, not, not to make them look like a photograph. I have a lot of people who say, oh, it looks like a photograph or something, but photograph isn't, isn't real. You know, I want it to feel like a real creature that's living and breathing on that canvas. And those paintings definitely come to life. Well, thank you so much, George, for talking with me today. And I look forward to following you. Continue to have uh, good luck on the river. And thank you again. Yeah, thank you. It was, uh, wonderful chat for the inside scoop on the fly patterns we've discussed with our guest check our blog for flies of the february room if you would like to enter the february room shoot us an email at info at cdfishing.us also remember to subscribe share and if we've earned it give us those five stars thanks for dropping by and remember to go fishing go fishing